Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. Every week, we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast-famine lifestyle and build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit freelancetofounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. On today's show, we talk with Carl, who's holding on tight while his writing business is growing fast. After writing for a few highly technical development blogs, Carl's business exploded, and now he works with 50 writers to deliver articles for his clients. And while Carl is definitely crushing it by some standards, I mean, his business has quadrupled since January, he's naturally feeling like a bottleneck in his fast-expanding business. Clay and I have a fiery chat with Carl, where we uncover what he has done right in his business to experience massive growth and some tough truths about what he has to do next in order to stay on track and not slow his own business down. We'll get started with this conversation right after these messages from our sponsors. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Freelance to Founder. I'm Preston from Milo.co, and I'm joined today by my good friend Clay Mosley from GetDripify.com. Hey, Clay, how you doing? Hey, good. Excited to be here. Yeah, always excited to have you. And we're joined today by uh, Carl, who's calling in from Chicago. Hey, Carl, welcome to the show. Yeah, good to finally meet you guys in uh, in podcast person. In podcast yeah. person, man, it's really good to have you. Um, Carl's a listener of the show, and uh, we appreciate you listening, man. It's a big deal. Yeah, well, I, you know, this is your show is basically aimed directly at people like me, and so, so it's a good fit. Uh, <laughs> I've learned a ton from uh, a lot of the other, you know, freelance to founders uh, journeys, and and what you know, y'all just kind of bring up some good points. So I figured I'd finally take the initiative and submit myself as well. (laughs) Yeah, good. Well, we're very glad that you did. And if you want to jump on uh, a call, a coaching call with Clay and myself, just like Carl's doing, you can visit freelance2founder.com. And down at the bottom, there's a a little questionnaire you fill out and a time you can book on our calendars. And we'd love to chat with you as well and help you uh, overcome any hurdles you're facing as you grow your freelance business too. So Carl did that. Now he's here today. We're excited to have him. Let's uh, let's dive in, Carl, and learn a little bit about your business. Give us a quick overview of what you're working on, what your business looks like, what kind of work you do. Yeah, so I run a small specialized content marketing company called Draft.dev. Um, my background is in software engineering, and then I was a, a head of engineering and CTO at a couple of funded startups here in Chicago. And uh, so I, while I was being a CTO, I was also writing on the side. And then every now and then companies would reach out to me and ask like, Hey, would you write a blog post for us? So as the last startup I was with started to kind of wind down um, due to you know just some sort of like 
outside economic forces, basically <laughs> as, COVID. As startups uh, do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, as startups do. So uh, as that was happening, I was kind of looking for what I wanted to do next. I figured I'd just pick up some freelance writing and just do that for fun, kind of learn what was it was all about. So I started writing like technical blog posts aimed at software engineers. And I kind of used my background in software engineering and management to... Um, to be kind of an authoritative source, you know, most of the time with freelance writers, they're they're kind of like doing research and, and trying to do their best on that. Right, and yeah. I was kind of able to, to speak from personal experience. Um, and I got a lot of clients, uh, and I, they kept referring me to other clients. And I kept saying like, well, this is kind of a nice little side thing, but I guess maybe I should actually treat it like a business. And so a couple months in, I was like, decided I'd, you know, sort of transition over and make it a full-time thing. So it started off with me just freelance writing, essentially. Uh, and then as we got a little more established and I started to think about uh, how this might scale up, I started bringing on other writers, you know, kind of started with a couple friends or, or people in my network who I, I knew could write uh, and then slowly branched out from there. And now, I mean, demand has been it's just like skyrocketing this year and referrals have really pushed a lot of our growth. And so gone from just me writing last year to now we have a team of about 50 writers. Um, now they're mostly oh, very... Impressive. Yeah, they're all very part-time. So to kind of like, it sounds like a lot, but like they probably write on average like one article a month or less. So... Yeah. Um, 50 people, still 50 still, people. I mean, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, 50, and 50 articles a month, like that's still yeah. a bunch of content to be <laughs> yes, cranking out. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is a bunch of content. Yeah, we we do a fair bit and it's it's honestly it's quadrupled since January. So it's holy moly. Yeah. I mean it it wow. it's really been like a you know, it's funny because I've been with all these like funded quote unquote high growth startups that never grew this fast. And now I've got this like little bootstrap <laughs> freelance business that I'm like trying to hold on for dear life to. Uh so that's the way the the world works sometimes. You never know, you just catch a wave, I think. Um but anyway, so that's that's kind of an overview of what the business does and uh you know, happy to get into like specifics of yeah. what I'm actively doing or what the team does and all that. What do, what do you uh what do you write for? Like what types of writing? Yeah. So our clients are mostly and we're still, you know, kind of refining this niche, but basically what happens is we write content for companies that want to reach software developers for marketing purposes. So an example that would be pretty familiar with a lot of people is like web hosting companies. If you want to write Good content about how to host like complicated websites on different kinds of servers. Uh, you need a software developer to write that content. It's just hard for a freelancer to write like an in-depth tutorial or yeah, a, yeah. you know something really like technical. It's hard like to that. research, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we specialize in, and because of that, all of our writers are practicing full-time for like software engineers. They're not freelance writers. So it's very different from a typical agency that would work with a bunch of freelance writers. And our clients are then, you know, pretty different too. They're not just looking for kind of fluffy SEO-based marketing content. They're looking for deep, heavy hitting, like, you know, tutorials and stuff that's really hard to replicate. So um, yeah, it makes us pretty unique in the the space of content marketing. Yeah. And I assume you can charge a premium yeah. for that kind of thing. Uh, you know, being on so being on the receiving end, you know, I, I run a blog or two, obviously, and so we get people all the time uh, who want to write for us, paid or, or unpaid or whatever. And there is definitely a difference. We always, we always make sure that they have the experience to back it up because, yeah, there are tons of freelance writers who, um, who, who feel like they can write about anything, and they maybe can, but not as good as someone who, who has actual experience in the field. And so I think where it's a highly technical stuff. Like that—that mm-hmm. that makes total sense, and and I imagine you're able to charge quite a premium for it. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it's funny how a lot of freelance writers that I talk to, they they kind of talk about these, you know, I don't know, twenty cent a word rates that they're getting, and trying <laughs> yeah. to move to twenty five. And I'm like, man, I, yeah, I'm not, you know, don't envy that because, yeah, I basically started off at closer to like. 
50 cent uh, award rate. Now we're closer to 75 cents to a dollar, depending on um, the content. So yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely a premium. I love it. And, and 50 people working with you, that's, that's no small thing. Uh, I mean, you've got a great business running here. And I think this is like, for me, this is a testament to, uh, you know, we, we tend to glorify like startup culture. I am a huge fan of bootstrap culture, you know, like we, we tend shark tank bootstrap. and like all yeah. this, all this stuff. We just glorify like startup culture where <laughs> we were talking about this before we hit record, Carl, where like you raise money and you hire people and then you try to justify spending all that money instead of like making some real money first and then hiring as you have more work and have more funds to put toward it. It's just such you mean, a, you, you it mean seems I'm more, not so much more to like, natural to me. <laughs> Sorry, you mean I'm not supposed to raise uh, uh, twenty million dollars in, in, in funds and then go buy myself a, a Ferrari? That, you're supposed to raise. You're supposed to raise twenty right, million dollars before you even have an idea of how you're actually going to make money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I. I have some. I mean, there are different um, kinds of businesses that would be really hard, if not impossible, oh, for sure, to boot, for sure. bootstrap. So, like, I'll. I'll kind of throw that out there as like my devil's advocate side. But I'm yes. totally with you guys. I mean, I think a lot of businesses, a lot of startups, they think the only path is to raise money because that's the one that gets glorified and gets yeah. you know yes, big press. But so many more successful businesses start just by like coming into a market that has demand and meeting that demand better than the existing competitors. It's just so simple. Yeah. But people like yeah. to avoid the simple. And then just they ask think, for money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if if they if they could work as hard to uh, figure out what their customers want as they work to figure out what investors want to hear to to invest in their business, they yes. they could be you know really far ahead. And I I don't disagree, Carl. Like I I agree there are some companies that could never happen without funding. And many important companies and causes that need funding in order to happen, but so many companies that aren't even really companies yet start go raise start raising money before they even have like a, a profit source or a cash flow source, and then they're stuck, and then eventually they fizzle out, which is you know why we commented on that earlier, where it's just like so many startups just fail because they get it backwards. So anyway, I'll get off yeah. my soapbox, but um, it sounds like <laughs> your company. I, I love that it's a testament to the fact that you can still start a company. Uh, scale with the money that you make and it can take off. I mean, if you if you do it right, if you provide the right service to the right customer, like it can take off completely. Yep, agreed. Yeah, I think the... Um, uh, there's... there. I don't know what I... You know, it's interesting because I still work with startups a lot. Like a lot of our clients are startups. And so the nice thing about having worked in that space is I know really well what their funding cycles and growth cycles and all the like language mm. they use is like. And so... You know, it, while we can, it's easy when you're like a bootstrapper to kind of like look at their business and be like, man, that's not for me and that's totally fine. But it doesn't mean that they aren't, um, <laughs> I don't know, a valuable customer source. Uh, oh, you yeah. just have to think about some of the pros and cons too. So I'm actually, and we can get into this later, but one of the things I'm realizing is you know, working with a lot of these smaller startups is challenging from a um, ongoing work perspective because they are in flux very you know regularly so they might yeah. be going up and down based on their funding cycles and, and how they're doing and we kind of feel the pain of that sometimes so anyway that's kind of another you know side effect of working with them but um, we'll see how long we stick with that this end of the market yeah that makes a lot of sense you have to you have to know which companies have the money to spend especially when you're selling a premium service. Uh, you're not just any yes. group of freelance writers. You have to know who, who's going to have funds to actually pay your bills um, and, and when they're going to have that kind of money and when they're going to run out and that kind of thing. I imagine that's yeah a whole yeah. 
a whole skill set in itself. Well, let's 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 dive in a little bit of, into some of the hurdles that you're facing. You know, when when you signed up to j- jump on this call with us, Carl. As listeners know, there's this survey that you fill out, and there's among many other questions on the survey. There's this moment where we ask you. Uh, where you rate yourself on a freelancer to founder scale, zero to 10, or maybe one to 10, uh, one being a freelancer, 10 being a founder. So, you know, one is you're working completely on your own. 10 is you're working, you have a team, you have processes, you're really running a company. Um, Carl, you put yourself, I'm checking my notes right now. You put yourself currently at a six, I think. Was that right? Did I remember that right? Yeah, I think I'm a five or six right now. I actually may have yeah, upgraded yeah. myself one point since I filled that out because <laughs> I hired another person who's starting in May. So I feel mm. like maybe that that will be my next. Uh, oh, because yeah, because point. because fifty uh, wasn't enough, and then but fifty one, man, that makes you <laughs> yeah. that, right. That really that really tipped the scales. Yeah. <laughs> what it is? What's interesting is like. Um, so I did pretty quickly get the writing and editing off of my plate, and that's been good. But what I realized is I'm still super... I'm, I'm very much the bottleneck for things like account management and sales mm-hmm. and yeah. final quality checks and even like content planning with clients. Like, So it seems... And it, you know, the numbers makes it seem like I have all this these people doing all this work, but like they're very focused on what they're good at, which is this, you know, writing of technical content. And I'm kind of doing... I'm like the glue mm-hmm. that holds every piece together mm-hmm. still. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of where I think. Well, that I mean, that, that feels accurate to me. Then, like a, a five or a six. So, so you know, you're at a five or a six. You're kind of holding everything together, but you do have lots of people working with you and working for you. Uh, I right. think you're in a really good place. It's you also put on the survey that in the next six or twelve months, you'd like to get to, uh, you'd like to move up the scale and be a nine. Uh, so you know, running a, a, a well, I'll let, I'll let you tell us actually. What does a nine look like in maybe in your ideal scenario, Carl? What would a nine be for you. Yeah. You know, I think I think I may have heard this on y'all's podcast or maybe somebody else's that is in a similar space, but like uh, I kind of like to think of nine or tens as like you're kind of in this control seat, just keeping an eye on things and mm-hmm. you know, twisting levers and trying mm-hmm. little trials with people and like doing the bigger picture of like what product or service do we need to offer next and which person needs to slot in there to do that. Um yep. It's it's really like you're you're stepping back and again like people always say like get out of the business and you know don't work in the business work on the business and this to to me that's the transition that I need to get to over the next you know twelve months is getting out of the day to day of sales account management of quality controls yeah. of you know like being the bottleneck on I don't know whatever payroll like silly things like that that I know you know other people can do it's just a question of getting them in there. That's a really good topic. I I could. Spend all episode on that, <laughs> on that stuff. <laughs> Getting out of your own way, uh, not being yes. a bottleneck, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, let's let's hit us with your best stuff, Clay. I mean, what do you got for us? It sounds like that's that's one of a few hurdles we can talk about with Carl today. What? How does he stop being a bottleneck? Um. Well, it is, okay. So th- 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 there's a lot of different ways to approach this, but I guess the real question is, is like. You just got to figure out, and I'm sure you heard this before, but but it's true. You just got to figure out what you're what you're actually doing day to day. And so, I know that sounds very easy to think about, but it is actually a lot harder than you think it is. And so, um, I think there, I think you do two things. One, you think about what you do day to day, and what you do honestly is you log it, and like very specifically, you make a very specific. Um, are very intentional, not not specific, but very intentional 
effort on logging every single task that you do in in a in a given normal day. Um, and so, and then at that point, you look at that entire list and you go just start from the top and you go like for every single thing, and you could treat your to-do list this way too, by the way. And this is what I do is I look at this list, this task, and I think, what's the worst thing that would happen if this does not get done, right? Like, this is the first question I ask myself. And I'm like, what's, what's the, what are the consequences of this thing not getting done? And if it's really bad, like, okay, you're going to lose your big client, your biggest client. Okay, well, then you better do that thing, right? But if it's like, if it's not going to affect you really that much, then either put it on your later list or just get rid of it altogether. And so that's the first question I ask myself. The second question I ask myself is, okay, if, if the consequences of not doing this is really bad, so therefore I need to keep it on my list. And the question is, okay, does this particular task actually require me to do? Like physically, it physically requires me to actually do. And if the answer is yes, then keep it on your list. If the answer is no, then you think, okay, well, who can actually do this? If you have people on your team, who, who can do this on your team? If, if, it, if it's a really small administrative task, for example, then either have somebody on your team who does those things, or maybe you just need to hire somebody that can do those little things. And so that's kind of my mental process of going through that and, and, and how to get to that point of like, now you're just kind of 30,000 foot level, how to delegate and just run the company. I love that because I think so often we assume that just because we've put it on our to-do list, it's worthy of doing, right? <laughs> but yeah. what you're what you're asking first is the question, should this does this even actually need to happen? Like your question of what will happen if this doesn't get done yep. is really just saying, does this actually need to happen? Does it need to happen right now or whatever? And then if the answer is yes, then you can say, do I need to do it? And honestly, I would add another thing, which is, if you say yes to the, am I the one that needs to do it? Ask yourself that again. Do I really need to be the one to do this? Because we convince yeah. ourselves so often that like we have to do it or it won't get done well or it won't get done at all. And that's it's the hardest thing. It's, it's super tough. I don't know, Carl, what's, what's, uh, what's resonating with you? What, what, what are you hearing over there? Yeah, well, I got my dog, dog barking, in the background. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Work from home well, life. Yeah, actually, right. Um, Actually, this is really interesting that you guys say this because uh, tracking my time has been one of my big initiatives this year, and that's mm. been really helpful already. Um, you know, for example, I you know kind of like found, figured out like when I needed to um, how much time I was spending writing articles because I still at the beginning of the year had a couple clients I was still writing for pretty exclusively because they were kind of hard topics, and I hadn't I just sort of kept pushing off. I kept thinking it has to be me who writes for them, mm-hmm. um, and I tracked my time, and I'm like, man, this is like two days a week that I'm writing and I like writing so that's what it's kind of hard too to pull away from it because yeah you know, I started this because I liked writing uh, but as I like look at it from a business perspective I was like man that's a big bottleneck to our growth if I want to you know grow a real business and be, be able to take a month off or something right or, or two weeks off um, so that was that was actually really insightful already but it's something I'm continuing to do what I've found really hard about it as things have shifted so quickly is like 
uh, sometimes it's hard to tell what this thing I'm doing is. And that maybe goes to your second point with what's what, like, should I even do this? Like, is this, is this really necessary? Or is this something like, for example, you know, somebody sends you an email that's just like, Hey, would you mind getting on a call to talk about X? I've gotten a lot. Oh, I'm starting to get better. Yeah, oh, I, I, I say no to those like almost every time. <laughs> Yeah, and you're smart. I'm just and, learning to do and that. You know, and you know what you you know what you do. So like, okay, so I want to I want to I want to talk. Let's just take this for example. If you go through this process, if somebody sends you an email and says, "Hey, can we can we hop on a Zoom real quick and let's talk about this?" The question is, okay, does this really need to be done? Like honestly, like what are the consequence or what are the consequences of me not getting on this Zoom call with this particular person? Uh, well, I'll probably like I'll I'll waste a bunch of time. Um, and, uh, you know, if I don't do it, you know, the consequences aren't that bad. So, okay, therefore you shouldn't do it. However, if it's somebody, it's like a big client pays you a lot of money or somebody who sends you a ton of referrals, like, okay, what are the consequences if I don't do this? Like, um, okay. If they send me a ton of referrals and I make, I make tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year because of this one relationship, it's probably a good idea to just hop on, um, and, yeah. You know, give you know, get on get on the call with them. But like and, and the second question though is can okay, you've decided you like, okay, the consequences are are not that bad. So I don't think I need to do this call. So the second thing is who who can who can do this for me? And when I may when I mean who can do this for me, my my assistant replies back to these people. I don't do it. Uh, she replies. So one of the things that I I have delegated is my email. I don't manage my own email. And so she goes through this process. Like I've trained her on this thought process of like, does Clay really need to respond to this? Actually, does it actually re- need to need his physical hands to respond to this email? And ninety percent of the time, the answer is no. She just responds to it. Now it does say responded by Hannah, right? Like uh, she's not acting like me, um, but she can answer the qu- most of the questions. So. Like that's a very very simple example of like things you don't need to spend your time on. Like go go get somebody an assistant or somebody to manage your email to respond to that kind of crap. In my opinion, have you ever noticed that many of the problems people calling with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full fledged team. Other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. 
You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I'm actually ex- going to try out getting a, a VA like in the next week or two. I've, I've got some things lined up to try one out. And so that's been on my mind. And it is things like email. It's things like running our payroll every month. It's things like these common questions that come up from writers and, and clients. And um, so I really that's a really good insight, Clay. One thing I was going to ask you guys that has been specifically... I've specifically run into challenges here is like, we're at this size where clearly, like, let's say like an account manager, I clearly need somebody to do day to day and week to week coordination with clients about which content's coming back and when and passing it to them and all that stuff. um, Because it's starting to take more and more of my time. Um, But I don't quite have a full time job there. And so it's like, I can try to find like a freelance account manager, which is kind of where I've been starting, I've been trying to say like, oh, this will be a 20 hour a week job that maybe grows to 30 or 40 if things go well. But like, then you got the whole like, well, this person's like only half invested and they've got other things they have to do to make the rest of their, their income. So I don't know. I wonder if y'all have thoughts on that. Like, how do you do that? How do you fill these roles these, like, that are clearly roles, but really they're not quite full time yet. I can't quite justify that. Preston, did you want to take this one? I mean, I have a response, but... Yeah, kick us off and I have some ideas too. Um, So my opinion is the... So someone like that, and I've run into this situation over and over again. It's like, that's the biggest... That's the... It's not the biggest, but one of the biggest struggles with growing. It's one of your growing pains. It's like, when should you hire, right? Because like you have these little gray areas where it's just like, um, you got... You're like, you're busy enough where you need to hire somebody, but... Your cash flow is not quite there to justify the expense of like a full-time salary. Um, my opinion is I think you should make d- decisions in your business based off where you want to be, not where you currently stand. <clears throat> and so I think if you... If, like, Just s- stick with me for a second here. Um, I think if you, cur- if you continuously make decisions based off where you currently are are at right now you are your own bottleneck because if if you're only going to hire an operation like you need an operations person right um that's what an account manager is um you need you need that particular role uh, but you only want to pay him like 20 hours a, a month or whatever 20 hours a week <clears throat> whatever that is part time um you're only going to you're only going to grow 
by that much. Like you're you're limiting yourself by by the fact that this person is only 20 hours, right? Versus full time. And so I think I think there's there's just like this thing in business where you have to make a decision based off where you want to be because you know, you know you're gonna grow to where you want this person to eventually be full time, right? Um, and so I would say like just bite the bullet and and if as long as you're not gonna go like super negative in the red cash flow, I think you should just bite the bullet and hire somebody full time and they will help you not only with day-to-day operational task, but I would fill in their other t- the other um, their other uh, remaining time in developing new processes and being more efficient and more big picture operational things. And so that's what I would do. I'm sure Preston has a take on this. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's spot on the, the idea of, uh, for me, what it comes down to is like, how, how does hiring this person impact, what's their ROI? How does it impact your bottom line? Because I think so often, especially... Um, and you know you're not completely new to hiring, Carl. But um, you know people who are new to hiring, it's like uh, they hire based on things that need done in the business, or people they think they should hire, or or whatever. Instead of looking at the business and saying like, where could we be making more revenue, and what jobs are holding me back from making that happen, and who can I hire to do those jobs? Like to me, that's kind of the the process of thinking of when I decide to hire someone. Yes, there's always like, oh, I don't have time to do this or I'm a bottleneck. But it, but more often than that, it's um, it's like, here's this opportunity, this revenue opportunity. I don't have the bandwidth to do all of this. Uh, if we do it, we will almost guaranteed make more money. So who can I hire to then do that action? And I think an account manager, if if you do it right, is is exactly that kind of person. That if you hire them, like Clay said, and any of their spare time goes to then account development, biz dev, outreach, sales, whatever you want to call it, maybe you find someone who can do both sides of that, um, then the ROI is there and, and you hire them full-time. Now, that being said, I have never hired a full-time employee. Um, I work with all contractors on my team. So Clay and I have a little bit different business structures. Um, I work with a whole team of contractors. Your concern about them not being fully invested in the company, I haven't ever really seen come to fruition. Um, but I also treat them like they are full-time members of the team. So like we're, we have a team culture. You know, I trust them. I don't treat them like freelancers or contractors. I treat them like full-time members of the team, and they do also have other clients that they work with. So I don't know if any of that helps, Carl. I mean, what, what, what's working, what's not from, from what we're saying here? That's absolutely helpful. And, you know, I like uh, basically what Clay said in a nicer way is that it's kind of fear holding me back. Um, yeah. And I, I think just reflecting back. <laughs> I like to on, be direct. <laughs> yeah. I think reflecting back on moving from being an employee to being a founder or to being like a freelancer and then a founder, the, the big hurdle or challenge is really fear. Like when I stepped out and actually did it, it, like nothing, the world didn't fall apart, right? Like good things <laughs> yeah. went on. Like, and you know, and looking back, it's like I've never been too aggressive. That's never been the failure mode. Um, so I, I think that you're probably right. And just, I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of people will kind of hem and haw around that because they don't want to mm. just just say that you're a little bit afraid. And that's 
that's something you should address. <laughs> and you know what? Like well, 90, I mean, 90% of the problems you face, I would say, at least in my experience, it does come down to fear. Like it's like what Clay said about the other questions, right? What's what's the worst possible thing that could happen? Let's say you hire someone and it was the wrong choice. What's the worst possible thing that happens? Well, maybe you lose a little bit of cash over the next 90 days. And then you realize that it was a bad choice and you have to let someone go and that's never fun. But that's seriously the worst case scenario, right? You lose a little bit of money, you lose a little bit of time and you have to disappoint someone. Uh, You're not going to lose your business. You're not going to lose your house. Like It's really, in the grand scheme of things, the worst case scenario is not even really that bad. Yeah, and I I was just going to say like, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a scary thing. I still get scared about it, right? Um, if you're not, if I think I think if you're not, if you don't have a, at least a little bit of fear, like, you're just not human, right? right. To me, this <laughs> yeah. is just part of entrepreneurship. Um, it, it, that that's one of the like that's one of the biggest. That's one of the scariest things to be responsible for someone's uh, income. That that where they. That's how they make a living, and that's how they provide for their family. To me, that's a scary thing to be responsible for. You know what I mean? And yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, and and it gets even more scary. It gets even scarier whenever those people start having babies and families, and like, okay, well, now I'm responsible for entire families. Like, that's a perfectly normal thing. I think I and I don't I don't think um, I you know, and I've never run a big big corporation with like hundreds and thousands of employees. Um, I, I I've only gotten up to like 22, 23. Um, but I I've never gotten used to that, to be honest. Like it's still a little bit fearful for me. I've just gotten used to that feeling. And so that's that's the difference. And I and I know I and I know what to do. Like, so like, just because I've done it, I've I've hired so many people. And so uh, I think that's the only difference. I'm still like, I still have that deep down, like. Man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Like right now, I need to hire somebody. But I have that deep down feeling um, where it's like, oh man, it's gonna cost me, you know, X number of dollars per month, and like, like, oh, like, can I do that cash flow? Like, blah blah blah. blah. Like, I, I go through that that same cycle. Um, but the fact is, I know in order for me to get to the next level, like, I gotta, I gotta make that higher because if I don't, I'm making the decision based off what my current my business is currently doing now, and therefore I will never grow. Yeah. I, I really like that whole um, like sort of hire for where you want to be rather than what you're mm-hmm. um, currently doing as your mentality. And obviously, there's like a limit to that. Like I can't, can't go hire 10 people. But um, for sure, yeah. clearly, I could hire one or two. Like we were very profitable the last couple of months and we've been growing quickly. And so it's like, what in, the, what in that history makes me think that will stop? It's just my fear. <laughs> this blocks me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I, I want to make sure that we address too... Um, you're a little bit different than than probably most of the listeners um, because we have a lot of people who haven't hired anybody at all. And they, they're at the point where they want to make their first hire. That's probably the scariest one. Um, no doubt. And I, yeah, and I yeah, think... Yeah, for sure. I think, like, I think a big mistake that people make is they, when they're freelancers, right? They and, But they want to hire somebody. When they're freelancers, I think they... I think they honestly, I think they pay themselves too much um, at the beginning. And that's why they, maybe that's why they get fearful. It's like they're they're doing really well as a solo freelancer. And so they basically take all their money that they make 
um, instead of paying themselves just a bare minimum just to, just to pay the bills and maybe then some. But um, like I, I I've run into some freelancers who man they're making they're making a good hundred k by themselves. But when you're talking about and they and they take every bit of it right they like they, the worst worst mistake is they don't have a CPA. Um, but so they take every single bit of it out of the bank account and. 100k is a good living for any single person but now if you think about it when you got to hire somebody and you got to hire somebody a good sal- salary let's just say 40k um now you just lost 40% of your revenue and that and that person that might be thinking oh man I don't know if I can live off of 60k instead of 100k well the fact is you're paying yourself too much at the beginning like you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and and we focus uh, a lot on the like the loss. Remember, so last week we chatted with uh, editor in chief of of Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, yep. And he was talking about like in history uh, how people just focus on like the losses when things happen instead of. Or we, sorry, it, when we project out the future, we focus on what will be lost. But when we look in hindsight, we look at what was gained. And so basically, he put it a lot more eloquently than that. But basically, what I'm getting at is like, when we hire someone, it's really easy to say what you just said, Clay, which is, I'm going to have to give up 40% of my revenue. But what you should actually be saying is like, if I hire the right person and put the right processes in place then I will double my revenue or I will, you know, add 50K mm-hmm. to my bottom line or whatever. So yeah. I'll actually net a positive 10K extra or whatever. Like we we just so often think about, especially with that first hire, but with any hire, we think like, oh, here's what I'm giving up. And a lot of times if that's all we can think about, then we haven't maybe thought through enough the other end of it, which is like, what? how will I make this money back? Every employee has to be net positive profitable. <laughs> and so... um if if you're not sure how that next hire is going to be profitable, bring you a net positive, or at least support your team in a way that they can, or or you or your team in a way that they can be more profitable. Then yeah, maybe it's not the best hire, and you need to rethink you know what it looks like. But but I think so often we just focus on that loss instead of what the potential upside is. Yeah, I always think about it from like a how much of my time would that free up, and what yeah. would I do with that time? Because a lot of the times. Um, I mean, like my most valuable asset, I guess, for the business is bringing in a network and like the sales stuff that I've gotten pretty good at because I have like a background that's like relevant and people, you know, I can build trust with people. And so um, while I'm not a salesperson, I never thought of myself as that. Like I realized that's really the strength that's unique that I have that that most of, you know, people wouldn't replicate quickly. And so whenever I think about new hires, I think about like, okay, how much time does that free up for me to do the business development, the like getting out there in front of people, the speaking, the uh, whatever it is that gets me like more ears or eyes on what we're doing. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's worth a lot of money if you yeah. put it that way. Yeah. yeah. It's a good way of looking Opportunity at Opportunity cost, sure. right? Everything has a cost. Every Every minute you spend doing something else that doesn't make that kind of revenue or doesn't make any revenue at all, like generating payroll, right? You could be spending in sales and business development and account building and networking and all of the things that you're talking about that do build your revenue very quickly. Right. Yeah. And it was the same with like when I was writing a lot. I, that's when I was making this calculation in my head. Like, okay, if I write two articles a month, that means I get to keep all the revenue on those articles because I'm not paying anybody out. But I'm like, but yeah, there's no new business coming in mm-hmm. from that. That's just mm-hmm. executing on existing contracts and like, 
So there's not a growth factor in that. It's just right. like a, yeah. you know. No, you've nailed it. That's exactly why so many freelancers face the feast famine cycle because they biz dev, biz dev, sales, sales, sales. And then that leads to lots of work next month. So then they work, 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 work. But then the next month they don't have anything because they were working instead of biz devving. And so it's just it just follows the same curve. I mean, it's it's natural when you look at it visually. Like it follows the same curve as your sales cycle. You sell a lot, then you work a lot. And then you sell a lot, and then you work a lot instead of always selling. Yeah, and this is a... I always tell people, you need to be spending your time on the thing that makes you the most money. Like you personally. Um, so like, I'm, I'm the same as you. I like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a salesperson. And so I make a lot more money if I focus my time on sales versus developing a website, right? The actual coding and building and designing of a website. And, and so it makes zero sense for me to spend most of my time building websites because I just don't make that much money from it. Um, and so like, this is the reason why I don't manage my email. I make zero money from, from managing my email. And so that's why I have someone else do it. Um, so that's why it's like, it's good to just log your time, figure out what, what makes you the most money and go through that whole mental process that I, was, that I went through earlier. But also it comes down to like, okay, what makes you the most money? Like that's what you should be spending your time on, in my opinion. Well, Carl, uh, time has flown by here. We've chatted about a lot of different things here. I, I've I've loved the conversation. What we have maybe four or five minutes left here. Is there anything we've left out that you want to make sure we cover on your coaching call today? Yeah, you know, one thing that I've been thinking about as I do free up more time is uh, I think it's kind of time for us to start um, building add-on services or extra services or whatever. We I intentionally stayed very narrow with what we offered in the beginning. It was like, all we do is blog posts, standard formats. Um, and that was so that we could kind of productize it, make it a repeatable process. But now if I'm like stepping out of all the day-to-day operations, I could see getting to a point where, okay, we, we can sell some like extra things like maybe eBooks or case studies or um, social collateral or I don't know what else yet. Um, I'm curious if y'all have thoughts on how you know it's time to start doing that kind of thing. If you have any like um, thoughts on how you'd evaluate different options or try them out or I don't know, anything like that. Yeah, for me, it would be like if, if customers are asking for it, that's obviously a signal. Um, if, if, you could, if you notice that your client's competitors are doing it, you could float the idea with a client, say... You know, I saw that so and so, who I know is your competitor, is is releasing an ebook every month. We'd love to help you with that if you feel like that would bring value to your business or something like that. Um, but for me, it all comes down to like, is is the client asking for it, uh, or are there again competitors to your clients who are asking someone else for it? That shows that there's a bit of a market for it. I don't know, Clay. What's your take? Uh, I think you're spot on. I always default to what your clients are asking, so. I, I think a lot of people will will create some products um, because they think it's a good idea and that it will sell. But the fact is, is that you need to make sure that that, that is actually what your clients want. Um, and so a, a really good way of trying to figure this out because, because what your clients want and what you think they want, uh, I would be willing to bet that they're not exactly the same. And so a really good way of doing this is to get your top five clients, like your most ideal profitable clients 
um, and just straight up ask them. And and because you should be on a on a good enough relationship with them. If they're a top five client, you should have a really good relationship where you you could you feel you could feel comfortable asking them that, um, and and just have a very candid conversation. Um, another way too is if you are part of like different online communities. Uh, so like, for example, right now, Facebook closed Facebook groups are very popular. Um, just go to those Facebook groups and, and just the ones that you know your, your target audience is in there and just listen. Just listen. And, and just when I say listen, just pay attention. Like you don't have to go and, and uh, interact with them. You can if you want. But just go scroll through the group and just look to see mm-hmm. what the most common issues and frustrations and pain points that people have because the Facebook groups, like people always ask those questions. And, and then that is a very, very, very good indication of what you should come out with next. That's a really good idea. You know, I've been, I have been asking some of my clients, I think what, what's been interesting is, you know, sometimes they ask for things that, I know are just unrealistic to you know to to do, um, and so those those things always I'm like yeah I don't know how to prioritize that mm-hmm. or how to say no gently yeah um, and so maybe it's because like I don't have the expertise or we don't have the expertise in the house yet or it would be too um, expensive to do or maybe it would be like too distracting or it's not quite anyway so whatever reason but I like the idea a lot of like trying to listen in on some candid conversations and even if it's um, yeah, even if they're just not existing clients, that would still be helpful. So that's a really good tip. Yeah, I mean, Preston doesn't know this, but um, I, I'm a part of the Millo group, obviously, <laughs> the Facebook group. Of course I'm not, I know this. I'm not, <laughs> I know what you're yeah. going to say. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not super active in there just because, like, I just, honestly, I just don't have the time. This comes down to, like, spend my time where I make the most money. However, I am, I am in there. I'm listening. I pay attention in that group. Because like that group, like they're they they're included in my target audience. So like I pay attention, but you don't ever see my name in there. I don't I don't hardly interact, but I'm like in there. Yeah. And that's what I do. I do this with more than one group. And so that I would encourage you to do that. Yeah, I do it with quite a few groups too. And obviously we have our own groups that we can do on an even deeper level where we have questions that people answer. In fact, when you join the group, Clay's talking about it, it says if we could wave a magic wand and do anything for your freelance business, what would it be? And that the answers to that question have guided our product decisions and our content decisions. Like that's how we help people. You know what I mean? And it happens to also be how we make money. And so it's it's really exciting when you start to notice trends and then you act on those trends and then they work because you're helping people, giving them the service and value that they want, but then you're also building revenue for your company. The other thing I would say, Carl, maybe just to round this answer out, is I know bef- <clears throat> before we pushed record on this episode, you had mentioned that you have, in some cases, higher than you'd like to churn uh, on, on clients and it might be a client mismatch or whatever, but I think an exit interview is a really fantastic way to figure out what people wanted that they didn't get from you. Um, I know sometimes that can be, like you said before, due to funding fluctuations or whatever because of your startup clientele, but 
but like I'm sure there are some people who are just leaving because they thought you could write an ebook instead of a blog post or they, you know, and they just didn't really bother to ask or or maybe someone on your team told them incorrectly or something and so you could potentially set up exit interviews. We do this with our subscription product called Solid Gigs where when you leave we ask for your feedback, why did you leave? And that has helped us inform new features for the the product as well so that future customers are more satisfied with their experience. Um, it might help you, you know, develop a secondary target audience. Like maybe you have uh, startups for for your core product, but then you have maybe you know bootstrappers for another product or something. And I don't know. Like you, it, it would give you a lot of insight. I think to do some exit interviews, just quick feedback, even over the phone or something, just to say like, thanks for your business. And is there anything we could have done differently to keep you or whatever? I think that could really inform your decisions moving forward. That's a really that's really good feedback, and that's really smart to think about. You know, this is. These are some of these things like, um, you know, developing or having this, taking the time to talk to clients who are either exiting or maybe just in the middle of a cycle for us mm. is something that like, I probably am not doing as much as I should because the, you know, day to day gets, you get so busy. Um, so I think this is really, that's really helpful to think about like how I could spend my time in those sort of conversations. Or even if it, I gave it off to an account manager, that would still be super valuable for us to know. Yeah, I mean, imagine the the value of having someone who's who part of their job is dedicated to understanding your clients better, understanding their needs, identifying gaps in your product offering, things like that. I mean, that could really, really pay off. So, yeah, I, I won't go into this, but uh, on this episode, just because I know we've done it a few times on previous episodes, but uh, Carl, have you listened to that uh, some of the episodes where I talk about the different levels of product offerings? Yeah, I think I've I've heard that, and you know, I've also been a big fan of um like the idea of a product ladder uh for mm-hmm. you know consulting which i think mm-hmm. it's similar idea whether it's yeah. you know same names or not but yeah it's a upgrade culture basically so that, that that's something to consider um just just a realist really short recap for listeners it's it's the idea of like you have a level one base offering and then um you upgrade them to a to a a more premium plan and then and then you can upgrade them to an a even more premium plan after that and so it's just uh that that works really well i think every business should have that so um i would encourage you uh or <clears throat> anybody who hasn't listened to that uh any of those episodes to do that i don't know which one is which one it is i can't remember yeah there's been i mean there's been quite a few i'll try to identify a couple and throw them in the show notes uh but i think yeah definitely worth a listen i think it's applicable here Carl, this has been a lot of fun today, man. Hopefully, it's been helpful for you. You've enjoyed uh, your time here with us. You you can lie and say you did, if even if you didn't. But, <laughs> but we've <laughs> we've been glad that you've been here, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it, yeah, no, this has been super helpful. I mean, you know, again, I've been listening for a, a while now, and it's always interesting to hear other people's uh, stories. But it definitely helps to get my own perspective as well. And I uh, really appreciate the time, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for yeah, joining us. It. Good luck and take care. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify, visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of the Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can catch past episodes at freelancetofounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time, see ya.